Coming up on the Rami La Vie podcast, we actually talked a little bit of MLB offseason on a Monday episode, but we also obviously talked about all the games in the NFL. One of the weirdest weeks when you think about start to finish, all the different scores and results from the NFL this weekend. We talk about all of it and try and make some sense of some of these results that we saw this weekend in the NFL. All that and more coming up next on the Rami La Vie podcast. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in another 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami La Vie podcast, episode 120. It's Monday. It is December 12th. And what we do on Mondays is we recap all the games from this past week in the NFL. We also will preview Monday Night Football. And I'm going to do a little bit something different on this episode uh, because I have a guest on Wednesday's episode that we're working on and we're going to talk more uh, heavily focused on the Jets and recap specifically the Jets episode. So Wednesday is going to be a little bit more Jets heavy. So today I will talk about all the games, including Thursday Night Football, which we have not yet talked about. Talk about um, some stuff in baseball, preview Monday Night Football. I will talk about the Jet game. Obviously, I watched that game very closely. So I do have more takeaways from that game than the rest of the games that I was watching as well. Um, so we'll get into all of it. And it starts with Thursday Night Football. That was the first game I'm going to go in order here. Um, first of all, shout out me. Uh, that bet was awesome. I told you guys to bet it. I told you guys to take the Rams plus six and a half and the under. You didn't need that late touchdown from Baker Mayfield, that miraculous touchdown from Baker Mayfield in order to win that bet because the bet had already hit um, it when it was 16-10. If that was the final score, then they would have covered, the Rams would have covered, and you also had the under by a mile. So good job by me. Also good job by Baker Mayfield, and this is probably where a lot of people started. So Baker Mayfield is going to get the praise from the media. He's on the apology tour. He actually handled it extremely maturely. Um, his maturity after the game was incredible, actually unexpected from Baker Mayfield, but I'm proud of Baker. I feel like a proud uncle, not a dad, just proud. I don't know what I feel like, but I just feel like I'm proud of Baker Mayfield. I'm happy for the kid. Again, this is a guy who was the first overall pick in the draft, goes to Cleveland and that dysfunctional organization. Then obviously before he's even let go by Cleveland, they're talking about other quarterbacks. They bring in Deshaun Watson. He gives a goodbye 
to all his fans and says he's leaving, but he's still on the team. They try and figure out a way to trade him. They can't. They cut him. He goes to Carolina. Carolina's a mess with Matt Rule. He's got Sam Darnold in there, who was the third pick in the same draft as him. They were looked at as two of the up-and-coming quarterbacks. That's not a great situation for him. He stinks in Carolina, even with Christian McCaffrey. Then they trade Christian McCaffrey. He's benched for P.J. Walker and then eventually Sam Darnold. And let's just say Baker Mayfield is not exactly third-string quarterback material. So he asks to be released. He's cut. He's picked up when really claimed by only one team. And that's a big story in the media that there was only one team in the media or one team that claimed him. Um, it's a little bit of a bit, in my opinion, because the way that works, it's just kind of funny. Do you know how I asked my father? I was like, do you know how waivers work uh, in the NFL? And he's like, no. I'm like, it's the reverse of the standings, which like most fantasy football leagues have abandoned the reverse of the standings when it comes to waiver claims. Like most fantasy football leagues have moved to like a blind auction or something like that. Because reverse of the standings just doesn't even make sense that that's how it works. That's how NFL actual football league uh, waiver claims work. But that's how it works. Um, So he gets claimed. And two days later, he's on the field. And he's down 16-3 with three minutes and 19 seconds remaining in an offense. That is not a simple offense. It's one that's known as a complicated offense. The Sean McVay offense and it's 16-3, and you look at this game, both teams were bad, the coaching was bad on both sides, there are penalties on both sides, and the game was essentially over. Max Crosby sacks Baker Mayfield, and this was, Baker drives down to make it 16-10, so this is after that already, Um, so, but the game's over. The Rams have no timeouts, Crosby just sacks him, and instead of the game being essentially over at that point, some bonehead on the Las Vegas Raiders decides to hit the ball out of Baker's hand and they get 15 yards on top of it, an automatic first down, and then they go to work, they drive. They're playing press coverage down the stretch with like man-to-man press instead of a soft zone with 20 seconds left at the 20-yard line. What are we doing? Like the Vegas Raiders lost this game way more than the Rams won this game. And like I said, shout out Baker Mayfield, credit Baker Mayfield. You have to take advantage But what they did in that game was clearly, and this is why I took the Rams to cover, because I just knew, I didn't know it would go this bad, but I just knew that the Raiders would find a way to keep this game close. Because after they win three in a row, they're feeling good about themselves, all of a sudden this is what happens. And I don't care if Derek Carr cries after the game, he was up 10-0 in this game and had had a chance to put this game away, and they never, never did. Baker gets the touchdown with 10 seconds remaining. They actually talked about this um, on the radio broadcast because I was in the studio. They talked about it on the radio broadcast that Baker kind of did the same thing to the Jets. His first game of his career came in on a Thursday night. I think he was backing up Tyrod Taylor in that game. He comes in. The Jets are up. Baker comes on the field, and he drives down. I think they actually ran the Philly-Philly play in that game. He caught a touchdown pass, or technically I think it was a two-point conversion pass. But Baker, he's got a chip on his shoulder. This is what he does. He finds a way to put a chip on his shoulder and be angry and feel like he needs something to prove. And that's what he's at his best. And I saw a funny tweet that said Derek Carson Wentz because of how he played after going up 10 nothing. So that was funny. Also, another funny classic Rams or classic Raiders moment was on the punt when they punted it to Baker Mayfield with about a minute and a half left and they had no timeouts. And it lands at the two-yard line and they down it at the two-yard line. And they're grittying on the field as the punt is landing. They gritty it on a punt, which, first of all, is hilarious. How can you gritty on a punt? 
Um, and then they're dancing around. They're like, ha, 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 we pinned you back at the two. And then classic old takes exposed. The Rams drive right down the field. Baker Mayfield scores a touchdown, and they win it 17-16. to 16. A wild game that probably means nothing. Matthew Stafford's career might be over with all these injuries. He got his Super Bowl. And does Sean McVay look at this and say, hey, you know what? This was a year from hell. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Maybe we salvaged the end of the season. We ride out a string with Baker Mayfield, see what we have. And in my offense, in my system, I had Jared Goff looking like an MVP. I got to a Super Bowl with him. Maybe I could do the same for Baker Mayfield. He's cheap now. And let's see what we can do with Baker Mayfield. And maybe that's what happens with this offense moving forward. And maybe that makes Sean McVay come back for one more season at least before he goes off and does the media for millions and millions of dollars. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. Um, but if that's an outcome from this game, that is a potential outcome from this game that I could see. As far as the Raiders, I think their season is officially over. Uh, they stink. All right, to Sunday's games, I'm going to start with the Jets. Um, I am still a Jet fan. I'm going to start with the Jets and the Bills. It was the Tony Romo and Jim Nance game on Sunday, so it was kind of the biggest game from Sunday. Uh, but the Jets lose to the Bills 20-12. to An interesting question was asked to Josh Allen after the game. Uh, they were talking about the offense, and somebody said in the Bills media, proving that Buffalo is still part of New York, somebody in the media said, well, this doesn't look like an offense that can win a Super Bowl. And Josh Allen goes, okay. He's not phased by any of that. They get the win. That's all that matters in the NFL. The Bills offense, though, if you think about that question, they really did nothing until Quinn Williams was out. When Quinnen Williams goes out with the injury, and initially it was thought to be a knee, and then it's only a calf, not as bad. Um, we'll see what happens with Quinnen Williams as of now he's day-to-day. Uh, after that, they still didn't do that much. But before that, they did nothing. They had no offense. The Bills didn't until Quinnen Williams goes out. And then even after that, it took a penalty on C.J. Mosley, another penalty on Michael Carter. And when they had opportunities to put the game away late, they couldn't do it. I mean, that's just a bad job by Josh Allen and the Bills offense. They didn't look that great and really a great job by the Jets defense without their best player on defense by far and the player who, in my opinion, makes everything on this defense go. On the other side, it's Mike White. Uh, Mike White is a dog. The dude, those two hits that he took, he leaves the game once, then comes back two plays later. After He, he picked up a third down. He, he converted, right? So it's first and 10 when he goes out. And then he comes. he leaves the game. It's third and 10, two plays later, because Joe Flacco came in, so they moved exactly zero yards. And then he leaves, comes back into the game with another third and 10 and picks up another first down. So Mike White goes out then, and then he gets really crunched, that vicious hit, which, by the way, if the hit on uh, from Sunday Night Football on Justin Herbert was called a roughing the passer, this should have been roughing the passer, and the guy should have been ejected. This was a vicious hit. I thought it was clean, but it was a disgusting, just a crazy hit when you watch it. I don't want to say disgusting. Disgusting is not the right word. Like I said, it was clean, but it was just an awful hit. And, well, it was definitely less legal than the Justin Herbert hit, but it was a legal hit. I think both of those hits are legal hits. Um, And Mike White leaves. And then him coming out of the locker room with his helmet on like a superhero, he was clearly limited, but he got the respect. He earned the respect. And Tony Romo made a good point. Tony Romo was like, he's not just playing for the Jets. He's playing for his career because his tape is his resume. He needs to show what he's capable of, not just to the Jets, but he showed heart, he showed grit. And then after the game, he was immediately hospitalized. It tells you what, you know, how bad those hits were. And it tells you everything you need to know about this kid. And what everyone said on this team after the game, all the teammates said uh, how much they love him, how much they respect him. And even Coach Sala said after the game, 
Mike White is 100% starting next week against the Lions, and he should. It's it's incredible what the kid did, and he earned the respect of the whole team. Now, when I was watching this game, I tweeted in the second quarter, I said it felt like the second Patriots game because there was just all the punts back and forth, but actually it was more like the first Patriots game. You think about it, all the bad penalties early, stall jet drives, right? The one on Corey Davis again. There's punts both ways, and then there's no offense. Just neither offense can get into a rhythm. Neither offense can get into a groove. It's 0-0, and then Quinn and Williams gets hurt. That hurts the Jets. Obviously, Corey Davis, he goes out. He gets hurt. That hurts the Jets. And then C.J. Mosley jumps off sides. And without the C.J. Mosley offside, if that doesn't happen, there's no touchdown there, and we're going to the half probably at 0-0. There's no score. They were never going to snap that ball. And I know C.J. Mosley said after the game he's just trying to make a play, but that's a tough break. But then finally, coming out of the half, Mike White finds his groove. They drive down the field. The first drive coming out of the half, they score a touchdown, a huge drive for the Jets. And then he gets murdered. Absolutely crushed. And on the very first play that Joe Flacco comes into the game, Joe Flacco fumbles the ball and loses it. And now in a 7-7 game with the Jets driving, the Bills have the ball and momentum. The Bills end up scoring. They go up 20-7. to Mike White comes back, but is clearly limited. And then the Jets finally have some life. The defense steps up. They block the punt, which gives them the safety, and they get the ball back. It was like four and a half or five minutes left. The Jets are getting the ball back, down 11, and they have the ball. They're driving again. They're in Bills territory again, and this time it's Michael Carter who fumbles. Just absolutely inexcusable, the mistakes by Michael Carter, the mistake by C.J. Mosley. And this is why it's like the Patriots game, because you had opportunities. You were right there. You were right in this game, and you couldn't get out of your own way. The Jets end up driving down. They still get a stop. It's incredible. The Jets still get a stop. You think about it. The Jets get a stop. They score a field goal, get another stop, and still have a chance for a last play drive. And this is why you talk about the Jets' defense being a championship-caliber defense when people say this is a championship-caliber defense. The fact that without Quinnen Williams, who's by far your best run stopper and your best defensive player, you got those consecutive stops. First of all, they get the stop that forced the punt that they blocked. Then they get another stop after the Carter fumble. They force, they get a field goal, and then they get a third stop. All they needed to ice the game, all Buffalo needed to ice the game was a first down, and the game would have been over. And on those three possessions, they couldn't get anything. They go three and out. This Jets defense, if it weren't for the mistakes by Carter who had a penalty, by Mosley, who had a penalty. You think about those two plays, the Bills have no points in this game. Those were their two touchdown drives. That's how they scored were drives that were extended by penalties on the Jets. And at the end of the game, all the Bills needed to do was just put away the game. And the fact that the Jets' defense for those three consecutive drives did not give up a first down on those three drives, they forced three and outs, that's what kept them in this game. That's why you talk about championship-caliber defenses And maybe that's why this Bills reporter was like, hey, guys, what's going on with the offense? Josh Allen, you can't pick up a first down. You have three chances, three separate drives, nine plays to pick up a first down, and you couldn't do it with a chance to ice the game? It's incredible. Great job by the Jets defense, but this reporter who asked the question, and I don't know the name of the reporter, uh, he's not wrong. The guy who asked the question to uh, the Bills quarterback, Josh Allen. Now, with all this said about the Jets, and it sounds like I'm being mostly positive about the Jets, it's, the moral victories are over because the Jets are 7-6, and six, and essentially they need to go 3-1 and one the rest of the way to even make the playoffs. 
And it sucks. It sucks that the Jets are now in this position because it feels like it's finally coming together. Look, I think Mike White can do it. I think Mike White is the quarterback that this team trusts. And I don't know if he's the quarterback of the future, but he's the quarterback of the next four weeks. And this defense, even without Quinn Williams, showed you how good they are. And I really think their schedule is not that difficult. Jacksonville looked really good this week. The Lions looked really good this week. They still have Miami who are going to be fighting for a playoff spot. And Seattle might be fighting for a playoff spot at that point. So it wasn't easy. It's not going to be easy. But the Jets essentially need to go 3-1 and one at least to make the playoffs. And so it's a shame because, like I said, it's going to come down. And we're going to go and look back at those two Patriot games and be like, man, we missed our opportunities. And the Jets had opportunities. They had opportunities in this game. They had opportunities in the Minnesota game. And so they got to start just taking advantage of those opportunities when they have them. It starts against the Lions on Sunday. The Jets opened as a two and a half point favorite at home. And we'll see what happens. But like I said, enough moral victories. The Jets are playing well enough to win these games. Now you just got to go out and win them. Speaking of the Lions, they were at home against Minnesota. And this was one of those fishy lines where you're like, why is the line... Detroit minus two it's the second time that Minnesota had a situation like that and this is why everyone thinks Minnesota are frauds they lose Detroit wins 34 to 23 this game wasn't particularly close Vegas is always right and this is a classic Kirk Cousins game. he goes 21 to 31 425 yards two touchdowns no picks and it's like he wasn't that bad he didn't cost them the game necessarily he's just not good enough and the Lions controlled this game the entire time they dominated and I will ask again, are the Lions good? Do the Jets have to fear that at home in MetLife Stadium, the Lions are going to come in and beat them? Now, the Jets did open as two-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Um, and I was actually rooting for the Lions. I was hoping that the Lions win because I feel like the Lions off a big win. And even Dan Campbell said, I don't understand how we were favored in this game. But they were favored. They win the game. They like the underdog mentality. They're not favored against the Jets, but I think after that big win, coming off that divisional win, a blowout against Minnesota, I think they are going to come into New York, and I think the Jets will actually have an easy time, in my opinion, beating the Lions, but we'll see. So that's next Sunday at MetLife Stadium, but this Sunday at MetLife Stadium yesterday, it was the Philadelphia Eagles absolutely destroying the Giants before the Giants could even look up. They were down by 21 points. Obviously, the terrible punt or not punt or whatever the hell that was by their punter. And this is what you were expecting from the Giants all year. This is what you expected them to look like. And it wasn't like they even played that bad. They're just not that good. The roster just doesn't have that much talent. And they got absolutely steamrolled by Philadelphia in this game. Philly, like I said, came out just guns blazing. And Philly looks like they are on a Super Bowl run like no other. Jalen Hurts is now the favorite to be MVP. He's minus 150. He's minus money to win MVP. And he didn't even do that much in this game. What do you have? 186 yards. They ran the ball right down the Giants' throats. And this is just what they continue to do is every week it's a different way to win. It's like, oh, they ran the ball with Hurts a ton last week. And it's like, oh, they're not going to do the same thing again, right? They can't do that again. Then they throw the ball a ton. And that's how they beat the Titans. And then they come back against the Giants. And then all of a sudden they're running the ball again, not with Hurts, but with the running backs this time. They've shown you that they can win any kind of way, and that's what you need in the NFL. That's what you need in the playoffs. That's what you need to win a Super Bowl. And right now, Philly has to be the favorite from the NFC to go to the Super Bowl the way they've looked the last few weeks and especially the way they looked yesterday on Sunday. Um, and if you think about it, 
for the Giants, Saquon's Barkley's health, that was going to catch up to them. He wasn't going to be able to keep up that crazy workload. The lack of talent on the Giants' side, that was going to catch up to them. And it looks like it finally is catching up to the Giants. The Giants still have a very good chance to make the playoffs. They're still in a very, very good spot. But in this game, um, that was just not even close. They looked like they were in an entirely different league than the Philadelphia Eagles. In that division, it was Dallas against Houston, and we talked about Minnesota, and we talked about Dallas now, who look like frauds as well. Um, I said I wanted to see Dallas when I talked about how I didn't have them high up enough, according to a lot of people on my power rankings. I said I wanted to see them pull out a close game, but I didn't mean that they should have to do that against the Houston Texans, who are the worst team in the NFL by far. The Texans have proven week after week after week that they're by far the worst team in the NFL. And by the way, my power rankings, they're going to look real different this week because this was a really interesting week. I don't even know where I'm going. I have not started to put together my power rankings. But Dallas needing a last-minute touchdown from Ezekiel Elliott to win this game against Houston. Dak Prescott played really poorly in this game. We talked about Kirk Cousins having a classic Kirk Cousins game where he was just, the stats look good, but if you watch the game, you know that they lost because of him. This was a game where Dak Prescott, the numbers weren't good either. He was not very good, and this is why I don't trust this team. I do my power rankings as who has the best chance to win the Super Bowl, and I don't think Dallas can win a Super Bowl in a game where they are going to be relying on Dak Prescott. Now, their running game, Tony Pollard, Ezekiel Elliott, obviously the defensive side with Micah Parsons. There's a very good chance that they'll find ways to win games with those guys. But if they need to put the ball in Dak's hands and tell him to go out and make plays, I don't really trust this Dallas team. Cleveland and Cincinnati. Cincinnati won 23-10. This was a game that I didn't think we learned too much from. These two teams, this division, they always play each other close. Cincinnati was up 20-3 in this game. So a 13-point game is relatively close for what I thought. Um... Everyone knows that I am on Joe Burrow MVP watch. So Joe Burrow, his MVP odds did go up in this game, but I didn't think his performance particularly uh, helped him in this game. Deshaun Watson, clearly still rusty. And Nick Chubb couldn't get anything going, and then they went away from him when they were down 20-3. to It wasn't the best performance by Cincinnati, but like I said, all they need to do is keep winning. They need to keep pace with Baltimore. And the problem is that Baltimore keeps winning no matter who's quarterback. Baltimore played against Pittsburgh. Baltimore wins in Pittsburgh. They had lost four consecutive games against Pittsburgh. They win 16-14. to And it's another Ravens win that just feels like a loss. But this is just going to keep happening with the Ravens, I guess. The Ravens have their third-string quarterback, Brown, in there, Anthony Brown, um, after Tyler Huntley gets hurt. He's out with a concussion protocol. Earlier in the game, it was Kenny Pickett out with a concussion protocol. So lots of vicious hits, knocking quarterbacks out. We talked about Mike White already. Uh, we'll get to Russell Wilson a little bit later in the episode. But I'd have rather have Anthony Brown than have Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky was awful. If he was just mediocre in this game, if he was just pedestrian, if he was average, the Steelers would have blown out the Ravens. This game would not have been close. Think about it. The Ravens win by two points. Mitch Trubisky threw three interceptions on the Ravens' side of the field and two of them inside the 25-yard line. Those are just field goals. You kick one field goal and you win the game. And with all that, it still took a blocked field goal by Calais Campbell for the Ravens to win. So it's another one of those games where you're like, Ravens, what are we doing? Now, you can't expect them to do all that much more with their third-string quarterback. But at the same time, Pittsburgh had this game. They should have won this game. And I really think if Mitch Trubisky doesn't literally throw away the game, quite literally throw away the game, 
then Pittsburgh would have won this game. Like I said, it still took a blocked field goal from Calais Campbell for the Ravens to win. But this is what's going to happen for the rest of the season for the Ravens. You think, oh, this Ravens team is bad. They're not going to play anyone. They're not going to be challenged. They're 9-4 and four now, and they have Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Atlanta before hopefully Lamar Jackson can get back for the Cincinnati game the last week of the season. They should win those three games against Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Atlanta, no matter who their starting quarterback is. It's Pittsburgh at home, and Atlanta is not very good. I don't know. I don't see the Ravens losing another game. They could actually win out. If they go 3-1, and one, that's a 12-win season. And you don't feel really great about any of the wins that the Ravens have had, but they keep finding ways to win. And at some point in the NFL, there's credit to that. But does that mean they just get steamrolled by whoever they play in the playoffs? Or who knows? Lamar Jackson is back. This defense has looked really good. Yeah, it helped that they got three interceptions, but they also had to go out and make those interceptions. They had to make the plays, right? Both sides play the ball. Can't just put it all on Mitch Trubisky, even though I think most of it is on Mitch Trubisky. The Ravens made plays on the defensive side when they had to. Three interceptions, the blocked field goal, and they win the game. So I guess credit them. And like I said, if this defense could keep it up, Lamar Jackson, the way J.K. Dobbins and the offensive line looked, I don't know. Yeah, can they get in the playoffs and all of a sudden go on a run? I, I, I wouldn't be shocked. Jacksonville blew out the Tennessee Titans, 36-22. to What? Yeah, I told everyone to take the over in this game. I did not. I, I didn't see this game coming. I thought it would be a low-scoring game. I thought it would be Derrick Henry running the ball repeatedly, and that's what it looked like is going to be early. Derrick Henry got off to a great start, but then Trevor Lawrence... I told you he was good. He was real good again. This guy is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He put the game on his shoulders, and he took over in this game. And by the way, Tennessee, what is the deal with that team? Think about it. They have a really slow start, and we're talking about Tennessee being cooked after being the one seed last year. They look great for about a five- to six-week stretch, and then the last few weeks they've been awful again. So the Tennessee Titans, the Jekyll and Hyde situation with them is really super confusing. And Jacksonville, uh, they win. They're five and eight, though. Ja- Tennessee should still win the division. They're seven and six now, and we have a bunch of seven and six teams in the AFC right now. Kansas City played against Denver and Kansas City, another divisional game. They win thirty-four to twenty-eight, but this game was a blowout for most of the game. Mahomes is a magician. He's making crazy plays. Everyone's all excited, but this is the concern with the Chiefs. They're up twenty-one, nothing, something like that. Twenty, it might have been even more than that. And they can't run the ball to end the game. They just can't run out the game. Whether it's Clyde Edwards-Alaire, whether it's Pacheco, they don't have the running back who is just give it to him time and time again and continue to run the game out and just shorten these games. And that's going to be a real problem for the Chiefs in the playoffs. If they get to the playoffs, which they will get to the playoffs, what's going to happen if they take a lead in a game? Can they rely on any of these running backs to run out a game? Or are they going to continue to have to throw the ball with Patrick Mahomes even late in these games to end these games? After another slow start on the other side for Denver, they're getting crushed. Russell Wilson finally looks as good as he's looked all season long. Like, by far, he looked really good after starting really slow and looking bad early and everyone making fun of him and laughing. Oh, my God, Russell Wilson, what are you doing? He starts to look really good, and then he gets driven into the turf. And basically, I mean, that was one of the most vicious hits I've seen. And we talked about the Mike White hit. We talked about the hits on Huntley and on Kenny Pickett. Now the Russell Wilson hit. That was probably the worst hit of the week. If this game was being played in prime time, they'd be talking about this hit 
even more than they'd be talking about the Tua hit. Like this would be the headline because that hit was vicious. That hit was crazy. Um, and so th- that would be the lead story everywhere. It's not. Instead, it's just a garbage time hit that no one was really thinking about. Kansas City wins 34-28. to 28. Uh, Denver did cover in a divisional game that they were eight and a half point dogs at home. So they did cover against Kansas City. And like I said, for Kansas City, that's the concern there. Uh, but Russell Wilson, that's a huge hit. We'll see how long he's out for. In San Francisco, it was a blowout. It was a three-point spread, and the Niners dominated from the word go. They absolutely destroy Tom Brady and the Bucks, 35-7. to Tom Brady after the game, dapping up the Niners players, getting to know some of his future teammates maybe. Tampa stinks again after that one win in Germany and that comeback on Monday Night Football. They stink. And Todd Bowles is a bad coach. Somehow they're six and seven. Somehow they're still going to make the playoffs. And that's the craziest part because Brady looks like he gave up. At this point, halfway through the game, he wasn't even angry anymore. He was just kind of frustrated. And then he was smiling after the game and talking to guys. And he's like, oh, you're a legend. Oh, you're a legend. Oh, my God. He loves hearing it. He's enjoying himself. He doesn't even care. He's like, I think he's so checked out of Tampa Bay at this point that, like, I don't think it really matters. Like, they're still going to win the division, right? So what's going to happen? Are they just going to get steamrolled in a playoff game? And then he'll just be like, all right, I'm out anyway. Like, is he just riding the string out? in Tampa Bay until he can go elsewhere. I don't think he's going to retire like this because, like I said, I don't think he's looked that bad. But is he just going to ride out the string until he can somehow just figure out a way to leave Tampa Bay? Um, He feels like he's done. He feels like he's checked out. But he's still going to have a playoff game with this Tampa team, it looks like, at 6-7 and right now, still leading that division. Uh, Just a weird situation with Tom Brady, and I don't think he's going to retire like this. I don't think he wants to go out like that, Uh, but we'll see what happens the rest of the way with Tom Brady uh, and the Bucs. I think that is the end of it, and Todd Bowles, I mean, he's just awful. I don't think Bruce Arians is coming back down on that sideline. I think they know Brady is gone. Um, A funny story as you get to the San Francisco side of this, Brock Purdy's parents had purchased tickets a while ago to go see this game not because their son was going to be playing he was on the practice squad he was Mr. Irrelevant but they wanted to go see Tom Brady a few months back and then obviously things change and now their son is the starting quarterback and uh, Peter Schrager told that story this morning on Good Morning Football it's so cool they go see him play I heard also on our Fox call this morning that that was the first time that a or Jimmy Garoppolo had never done this but Brock Purdy threw two touchdowns where the ball traveled only over 20 yards in the air on the touchdown pass. Um, and Jimmy Garoppolo had never done that. So when you talk about Jimmy Garoppolo being a winner and how much better this team looked with Jimmy G than Trey Lance, like we talk about how everyone loves the backup. Brock Purdy has that backup, and he doesn't look that bad. And this offense looks like it's running perfectly. Now, the Debo Samuel injury is going to be huge. It's not as bad as initially thought. A lot of people thought it was a knee. As he gets carted off, then they thought it was something torn in the ankle. Maybe it's just a high ankle sprain or a minor fracture. Um, I don't know what word is on that, but he could be back for the playoffs. I mean, you look at this team. It's going to be the hardest team to judge, right? Like, they only gave up seven points this week against Tampa Bay. This defense is as legit as a defense gets. Um, They've only given up 27 points in the last 14 quarters. That's going back over the last three and a half games. The Niners defense has only allowed 27 points. It was just an insane 
stat. And this Niners defense is the best defense in the league. And can they ride Brock Purdy? I don't know if they can, but it's so interesting. Like, what happens next year? Do we still go back to Trey Lance? Like, if Brock Purdy looks this good in the offense, he almost looks better in the offense than Jimmy G did at any point. And Jimmy G, we know how capable he is in this offense. Like, what happens? Do they win? Like, I guess we'll have to see what happens in the playoffs. I still think Philly's probably better than them because if I had to rely on one quarterback late in the game, I'd take Jalen Hurts over Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, but not so irrelevant anymore. Brock Purdy, what a job he's been doing. Um, And this defense continues to carry them. And so it's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens with San Francisco down the stretch of this season. The last afternoon game was Seattle against Carolina. Carolina wins 30-24. to And Geno Smith's time is up. He turned back into a pumpkin. They lost to Tampa Bay. That was telling, uh, considering what Tampa Bay's looked like since then. And it's major fraud alert time. Geno Smith throws a couple picks. He wasn't that good in this game. And if you think about Carolina, a lot of people thought before this season that they actually had talent on this team. And mainly Bill Simmons kept saying, this team is talented. I think they're, they're a dark horse. And then the Matt Rule situation, Baker Mayfield just awful with both of those guys and then the second they get rid of both of them they start winning and I'm really happy for Sam Darnold he's getting a real opportunity here as he goes into free agency he's clearly better than Zach Wilson I'll give him that Uh, I made money off this game I did take Carolina money line so I'm pretty happy about that by the way my bets this week were fantastic I had Carolina money line I had over in the Minnesota and the Lions game I had the Bills money line parlayed with the under, and in that game, I also bet the Jets to cover the nine and a half and the under. Um, Thursday, obviously, you know about that bet. I won that bet. Uh, the only bet I lost, actually, because I also had the under in the um, Ravens and Steelers game. So the only bet that I lost uh, this weekend was the Giants. I bet the Giants to cover, and they did not. I actually I moved the line to like 10 and a half because I thought they'd lose by maybe 10, but they couldn't even cover a 10 point spread. So uh, the Giants, thank you, Giants. That's the only game I lost this weekend. And then Sunday night football, I actually did lose a bet on this. It wasn't my bet, though. I was riding with a, a quote unquote expert, and this is why you don't do this. He said to take the Chargers minus three and a half or plus three and a half, sorry, and the under. The Chargers plus three and a half did hit, but the under very much did not hit. Or sorry, the over very much did not hit. He said to take the over. Um, I questioned. I was like, you can take the over on a primetime game. It was like 51 and a half. And I was right. He was wrong. This is why you don't bet with the experts. <laughs> um, the Chargers win 23 to 17. The Chargers should have won 23 to 10 if not for a crazy play by Tyreek Hill, obviously, where he picks up a fumble. This game was not close at all. Tua was atrocious. And yikes, all the people who, right, are the Tua trusters, Tua believers, people who said, hey, Tua Tungavailoa. For some reason, the second I get on board a train, somebody remind me that I was a Mitch Trubisky truther uh, for a lot of the first season or the first year of my podcast. And yeah, it's not going too well for me, Trubisky truther. I think I've abandoned ship on that a while ago, but I was on Tua all season how well he's played. But this is why people talk about Tua being a bad quarterback. It's games like this. He looked awful. And I'm not overly impressed by LA. I'm not super impressed by the Rams. Like this is what they do. They win these games where they didn't do have to do too much to win it. And then it's all of a sudden, oh my God. And all they have to do is make the playoffs and Justin Herbert, he's so good, blah, 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 blah. But they're seriously in the playoff conversation. Like, this is what they do. They have Tennessee, Indianapolis, the Rams, and Denver left. They should win out. They're 7-6. and six. They should end the season with 11 wins. And Justin Herbert should get into the playoffs, and they should 
be really good in the playoffs because Justin Herbert and these receivers are really good. But will they do that? I don't trust them to do it. They'll find a way to lose to Tennessee. Maybe they'll find a way to lose to Indianapolis, the Rams, or Denver. They could lose out the rest of the way, but they shouldn't. This team is good enough to win out. They find ways to win this weird, wonky game. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, there they are. The Chargers are back. But yeah, this isn't going to last if you ask me my opinion. And by the way, speaking, I said this was a wonky game. This was the wonk week. We talk about this in the NFL every year. Usually it's early in the season, and we had one early in the season. But to me, this is the wonk week. This is the week that you look back and you're like, I don't know how telling any of these games are. Look at the Jets and Bills. Is this really what the Bills offense is? Is this how bad the Jets offense is? That's a close game, but the Jets shouldn't have been in this game with all the injuries and penalties. The Bills should have blown them out. I know credit the Jets defense, but maybe the Bills offense just had a weird wonk. Think about Minnesota and Detroit. Is Minnesota really this bad? Is Detroit this good? Philadelphia, they've looked really good, but a 48-point game against the Giants? The Giants still can't score 30, by the way. They haven't done it all year. Dallas almost losing to Houston. That's not not really normal. Think about Pittsburgh and Baltimore. That game was such a weird game. That game alone was a wonk game. Tennessee getting blown out by Jacksonville. Kansas City having to score late to secure a victory against Denver. Tom Brady getting blown out on the road in San Francisco. Seattle, who's been good all year, losing. And obviously, like I said, the Chargers and Miami. Yeah, I'd call this a wonk week. Now, the wonk week continues. Will it continue? And I didn't even mention Thursday Night Football, by the way. That, yeah, wonk game, right? 16-3 with three minutes left. And Baker Mayfield, of all people, comes back after being in the system for a day and a half and wins a football game on the road. But Monday Night Football is New England against Arizona. In Arizona, the Patriots are favored by minus one and a half on ESPN Pick'em. So I'm going to take the Patriots to win and cover. I think they will be Arizona. The Patriots are 6-6 six and six now, but they look around the AFC. They see all these 7-6 and six teams. They're probably sniffing playoffs, and Bill Belichick is going to figure out a way to win this game. I actually like on FanDuel, New England is minus 2.5, and, and the under is 43.5. That gets you to about plus 220-something if you parlay those. So uh, I like that. New England to win by more than 2.5 points, and the under, under 43.5 to hit as well. And then New England will also be 7-6, and six, and all these teams will be sniffing around. And like I said, the Jets sniffing around. I just use it. That was unintentional. I swear that was unintentional. I meant to be meant to say in the hunt. And maybe that's why. Maybe that's why Joe Buck said sniffing around, because sniffing around actually works. All these teams at 7-6 and six are going to be sniffing around. There you go, Joe Buck, for a playoff spot. Um, I want to hit a couple of baseball points, so I'll do that quickly. First of all, Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter said... Um, when he was at the stadium and they booed Hal Steinbrenner, the fans, Derek Jeter goes, oh, you'll see, you'll see. And Derek Jeter was right. Hal Steinbrenner apparently got on the phone one-on-one with Judge. He closed out the deal. Aaron Judge is winning the offseason, by the way. Aaron Judge, the job he's done, think about it. He has the crazy season after turning down the extension. He makes the Yankees sweat, right, because he was angry at the Yankees for releasing the details, so he makes the Yankees sweat. Then he ends up re-signing with the Yankees for $360 million, which is $145 million more than he was ever offered originally. But instead of him being like, oh, he's greedy, he went back for all this more money, it's like, oh, he took less to stay with the Yankees. And in an interview, it comes out, he said, oh, I care more about legacy than dollars. He turns down $400 million. Like, all these different things. Aaron Judge is the winner of this uh, offseason. But really, MLB won this offseason. I talked about how I didn't think this offseason would be 
a lot like last year's offseason where they had a deadline. They had to get all these crazy contracts in. This year has been even crazier. The money that's been thrown out in just a short period of time with all the contracts. Steve Cohen's helped with that. He threw another $180 million out at Brendan Nimmo, which great deal for the Mets. This is a guy who is the motor of this team. He makes everything on this offense work. You had to have him, and you get him on about $20 million a year. a $160 million deal for eight years. That's a really good job by Steve Cohen and the Mets. They obviously go out. They get another pitcher. They get the Japanese pitcher to come over. Um, meanwhile, for the Red Sox, just it continues to be awful as Xander Bogarts does sign uh, with the Padres and now rumors about Fernando Tatis. I said this right after. I said, Fernando Tatis has got to be gone. Rumors about him being traded, maybe to the Yankees. Aaron Judge also was quoted saying another way, Aaron Judge winning the offseason, he said that he only came back because he was promised that they'd make more of an effort to bring in other players around him. So Aaron Judge is going to get the loudest ovation from Yankee fans ever on opening day until he goes over four with three strikeouts. And then he's booed by the Yankee fans, but that's how it works uh, when you're a Yankee fan. Obviously, talk about Philly and Trey Turner and him going there. Think about it. All the money being thrown out. Think about everything that happened. Like MLB was put into the spotlight in about August because of the Aaron Judge home run chase. They were really put into the spotlight and they took advantage with an incredible, incredible postseason. The atmosphere in Philadelphia, which by the way, Trey Turner signing there, I just mentioned that. Trey Turner mentioned that when he watched on TV, he saw the atmosphere in Philadelphia and I'm dancing on my own and all that stuff. He saw that and that was a big reason why he wanted to sign with the Phillies and he took less money to stay with the, to go to the Phillies than going to San Diego. And you think about that and now Aaron Judge again puts the Yankees or puts MLB this time in the spotlight with his offseason and that was the biggest news in the offseason and MLB again took advantage with all the big signings whether it's Trey Turner whether it's what the Padres have done because like I said they go get Bogarts think about the Red Sox because I mentioned that as Machado can also opt out after this year maybe the Yankees go for Machado who knows what happens I would like to see him go maybe it's I'm coming home party for Manny Machado after the season that's the offensive free agent that they get Um, but think about it Benintendi, gone. Betts, gone. Bogart's gone. And is Devers going to be the next to leave for the Red Sox? That franchise is in shambles. But MLB, great job in the spotlight of the offseason. Still a few big names out there. Like I said, Rodon, does Tatis get traded? So a lot to talk about in the MLB hot stove season. A great job by Major League Baseball to make this interesting and fun for everyone. It's been uh, really cool. All right. I'm coming back on Wednesday. We're going to do a full Jets breakdown. We're probably going to talk about the rest of the season, talk about the offseason, talk about what happens with Mike White, what happens with Zach Wilson. Full Jets coverage on Wednesday's episode. We'll obviously have a lot of other stuff for you. By the way, the Knicks were struggling. The Rangers were struggling, but they've both won. I think the Knicks have won four straight. The Rangers might be four or three straight as well. So I'm fully back in on the Rangers and Knicks, which sucks because that just means that they can break my heart again. Um... But yeah, that's all coming up on a later episode. Like always, please like, subscribe, share the podcast with other people. And until next time, I will see you all. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high. When you take me to your eyes, like I'm standing in the sky. Your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go
Wanna drop down Riverside See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks yeah. on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go oh, oh, I ain't changed it oh, oh, oh. Always on my own oh, oh, I'm still New York You're the only oh, 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 That I'll ever know oh, oh. My country oh, oh, oh. I'm still New York Yeah, BK born and raised I was God sent Hit them courts, y'all didn't prospect Take them long walks on my time spin Just a kid with that empire, stay the mindset Kick flipping off a blind deck Dipping from the New York City's finest, yeah Said I've been up on my New York shit Walking down the block with my New York bitch I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it Even if I do, though, I can never hide it Top down on the west side when I'm driving East side be the only side that I'm riding